Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of Ask. I'm Pastor Jamie at Cornerstone Church. And today we wanna talk about the really important subject of what happens if our children die before they can really understand the gospel? And a couple of other really good questions too. So we'll look at it this time on Ask. Hey, once again, this is where we answer questions that you ask, usually going to our website. Uh, go to cornerstonebv.org. You just go to the media page, drops down, you see the ask little tab there. Click on that, you can submit your question. You don't have to leave your name or anything. Uh, you can if you want. And uh, up, upcoming episode, be watching and we'll answer it, okay? Uh, be patient, so you only try to get two or three in um, an episode for timely reasons, so uh, tune into everyone and find out when your question will be answered. So the first one is one that, that I think um, a lot of people have, especially parents, when you start looking around with kids, and especially when you really um, start taking the gospel really seriously. And, and it just says it this way, what will happen to our children that are not of age to understand the gospel and accept Jesus Christ as their savior? God forbid they have an untimely death or if they experience the rapture. So um, we won't touch on the rapture. There's gonna be another Ask episode. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, I think the first thing to remind all of us, right? And this is a very difficult concept to understand because the, the only way to salvation certainly is faith in Christ, but God is sovereign. So the Bible is clear that nobody will be lost or missing that God didn't intend. Um, and so I know that brings up a whole lot of other questions I'm not gonna deal with right now, and I've dealt with some of these in, few, in uh, previous episodes, but I think it, it's always meant to be a comfort to us. There isn't anything from God's perspective that's going to be untimely. Uh, from our perspective, absolutely. When any of our kids die, to us it's absolutely untimely, and, and, and of course that's how we're gonna look at it, but not to God. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing else is outside of his plan uh, for our lives, right? But. Um, so what you're really asking is this idea of, is there an age of accountability? That became a phrase that's, that's gathered steam over the centuries, meaning that, that there's a certain uh, age where, okay, now you have no excuse. You either have believed something about God or, or not. In Jewish circles, the age typically was 13. Um, and, and, you know, so whatever age you describe that to. So that, that uh, idea is not, specifically biblical, meaning there's nowhere in scripture that says, okay, at 13, you're now responsible for what you believe or not believe about God. So so we really can't hold to that uh, dogmatically, right? We, we have to be very careful about that. I, I would say that, um, you know, some evidence, uh, one of the evidences that, that, are, that are really good or we also use for that, that abortion is wrong is when uh, David, if you remember his sin with Bathsheba, and she gets impregnated and God's judgment on that is to, is to take the child, right? The child isn't going to be born, and that's what God says. Um, David fasts and prays and, and asks for God to relent on that, and God does not. And so then once he's done, it says that uh, in responding to those saying, wow, you seem to be doing okay, he's like, well, what God has decided is that he's not going to come, my baby's not going to come to me, but someday uh, he, will, he will not return to me, but I will go to him, right? Um, and so what that seems to indicate is that baby that was still in the womb of Bathsheba goes to be with God. And, and so whether that was the baby had just been born, right, it would have been meant kind of the same thing. So I think what we can gather to some level, right, is that, that babies, toddlers, children that, that can't speak or really think at a level to, to be, be able to understand sin and believe in a savior that God covers them with his grace. But to back up a step, 
here's what we know to be true. Number one is that we all, all have been, uh, have been imputed, we call it, with the sin of Adam. And so babies are sinful, toddlers are sinful. You know this, let's be honest, right? And they're vipers and diapers. Toddlers, the first word is no, right? So, so we know that they all, we all have a sinful nature. We all need a savior. There's not a certain age where suddenly you're a sinner, but before that you're an angel. That's just not the case. Biblically, and even experience, our experience would, would say, no, that's not the case. And so that, that's number one. But number two is the only way to be cleansed from that sin, forgiven from that sin, redeemed from that sin, is Jesus Christ, is our faith that Christ died for us. Our faith that Christ rose in victory. Um, over our sin and shame, our faith that, that Christ will come again and that he has made a way where there was no way. Right? That's the only way, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's true. Um, third thing we know biblically is that God is lovingly, is loving, merciful, he's kind, he's just, right? He's good. So all of these things are true about God's character. Um, and so the fact that somehow God ascribes Christ's sacrifice to say mentally handicapped people um, or very young children, babies, who just simply do not have the mental framework capacity to understand that they are a sinner and they need, they need to put their faith in a savior, that the fact that God would, would cover them with that grace found in Christ um, seems in line with his character, right? Can we hold true to exactly what that means and what age, we just don't know. Which, so we trust his sovereignty, we trust his goodness in everything, but also it's why we should be very urgent about discipling our children as soon as possible, reading them Bible stories, telling them about Jesus. They will at least grasp concepts of the gospel at an early age. Yes, they will grow in a far greater understanding as they turn into teen years and young adult years and on they go, of course, but we should be discipling them as early as possible. Um, and that's just what our job is and leave the results up to God. Okay, awesome question. Uh, second one today, Deuteronomy 13, Moses warns the Israelites not to be led astray by false prophets or anyone enticing them to worship other gods. Uh, he notes specifically in quote, gods you have not known. That's verse two, six and 13. Why does he say gods you have not known? So this chapter, again, Deuteronomy 13 is um, where God is warning people to not go after these other gods. And then he presents in those uh, uh, three different examples. The first is someone who seems to have power like sorcery. They're able to do things that are kind of fantastic or um, pretty amazing. And, and, and it would entice you to say, wow, they have this power, right? And, and, and now they're telling me I should go after these other gods and and there's an enticement there. God says, don't do it, right? You, I am the Lord God. You know me, not those other gods who you don't know. Don't go after them. Second scenario gets even more personal where uh, the stakes become higher, where uh, a family member or a very good friend is worshiping a false god or a different god, right? And tries to entice you. No, you should do this. You should get involved with this god. You should, right? And God says, don't do it. That's a God you don't know. And thirdly, he calls them worthless people, but basically what it is, is those who you used to think believed like you did are now going off and serving other gods and trying to entice you to go off with them. And again, God warns you not to do that. So why the phrase um, that, that don't go after uh, gods you do not know? He's not saying they're actual gods and they just you don't know them. He's saying, you know me. 
you know that I am the Lord God. I am the one that rescued you from Egypt. I am the one that has taken care of you in the wilderness. I am the God that has saved you. I am the God who has sustained you, right? And the same for our lives, right? Maybe not in the same context as Israel, but you can look back and say, you know God saved you. You know what God has done, what he's delivered you from, how he's blessed you, how he's cared for you. He says, these other gods or powers or philosophies, right? They're not known to you, nor should they be. You don't need them, you have me. And that's really God's point with all of that. Um, and I think it's a point well made for all of us. Lastly, this should only take a minute. How do you pronounce the book Ecclesiastes? And they gave me a couple of options. I really didn't understand. They kind of pronounced it phonetically. Um, Ecclesiastes or Ecclesiastes. I've always known it to be Ecclesi Ecclesiastes. Um, here's what I would tell you if you're ever not sure about a biblical book or word, um, especially if you know how to use the internet at all, just go into your Google search and type in, how do I pronounce Ecclesiastes? It'll come up with all kinds of YouTube, Bible websites will actually listen to it over and over again if that's something. I'll even do that if I'm preaching a sermon on a passage where I'm like, wow, these names, right? I'll go to YouTube and listen to them. And who knows if they're right, but it seems right to me. I don't think it matters a whole lot. I'm not saying it's a bad question. I think in the end, if you say Ecclesiastes or Ecclesiastes, just don't say sleazy nasties. It's definitely not that. All right, it's been a great episode on Ask. We'll see you next week. Hopefully you'll see you this weekend in church as we gather to worship Christ. God bless. See you next week.